A financial plan requires planning. It's savings, RRSPs, investments, and planning for the unexpected. TD Term Life Insurance can help protect your family's financial future if you were to unexpectedly pass away. You can apply for TD Term Life Insurance online or over the phone by speaking to a licensed advisor. If you're under the age of 55, you could be approved for up to $500,000 of coverage without a medical exam. Conditions apply. TD Term Life Insurance is underwritten by TD Life Insurance Company. Visit tdinsurance.com slash termlife to learn more. As Canada appears to be nearing the end of the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic, Manitoba is still facing a crisis point at its hospitals. The peak for hospitalizations is expecting to hit this week, even as cases are declining, forcing the transfer of patients to other provinces such as Alberta and Ontario. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Winnipeg Sun columnist Josh Aldrich joins me to discuss the current strain on Manitoba's health system, the political fallout for Premier Brian Pallister, and whether Manitoba expects to reopen anytime soon. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Josh, Manitoba hasn't perhaps gotten as much focus nationally through the pandemic, although we're starting to see more focus on the province now due to concerns about rising hospitalizations. But to take us back a little bit, how did Manitoba fare through the first two waves of COVID-19? Well, uh, Manitoba actually survived the first wave not too bad, especially in comparison to the rest of the country. We, we certainly felt it here. We had lockdowns. We had health orders. We had the whole bit. We even had 13 days in the summer without a single reported COVID case. And at that point, people were celebrating. We were ready to throw up the mission accomplished banner, the whole bit. We did have a few spikes, but we were in pretty good shape. The big thing is we somehow managed, and I think it's kind of by the grace of God, that we kept COVID-19 out of the personal care homes. And so we didn't have it just running rampant through different personal care homes and long-term care facilities where we saw mass devastation in like Quebec and Ontario and in other jurisdictions around the country. So that was the big thing, the first wave for us. The second wave, completely different story. We had some of the highest death rates in Canada and the US. Mm -hmm. At that point, that's in November, we started to scramble medical personnel from different areas within the system to kind of bolster the ICU and the acute care system. And I think we topped out around 125 ICU beds or so. And doesn't sound like a lot, but not in a pandemic. We're usually about 72 to 74 ICU beds every once in a while. They have to flex up during uh, a really bad flu season or something like that, but they've never been at 125 ICU beds. And at that point, they're pulling in uh, respiratory therapists, they're pulling in other types of personnel uh, in the medical fields to help deal with what we're seeing in ICUs, had to shut down non-urgent or emergent surgeries. That was actually the second time that we did that. We did a little bit in the first wave. Second wave, it really shot up. And uh, through two waves, I think we ended up having to delay something like 13,000. And they don't know the number for sure. They're just going off previous years, around 13,000 surgeries. Mm -hmm. And at that point, in the second wave, the first time that we really made national news was the Maples Personal Care Home, where they had one of the bigger outbreaks in the country within a personal care home. And they had some pretty tragic stories coming out of that, including having to call in ambulance services to help 
with a completely understaffed personal care home that was not able to handle the number of cases that they were seeing within their staff. And there was combined with a massive uh, spike in cases at the personal care home where the condition of patients degraded pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So we made the unfortunate national news on that one. Uh, and they've had an inquiry into that already. They've had a report come out of that. They say it's due to a communication breakdown on being able to keep staffing up. I think most people think there's a little bit more than that, running razor thin levels of staffing in an industry that was not able to flex up and handle a surge of cases. At the beginning of November, we basically shut down the province completely. Mm-hmm. We shut down any gatherings of people, shut down churches, shut down non-essential retail. And then they had to backtrack a few days later and say, okay, places like Walmart and Costco that could sell all these non-essential retail items are still selling them, even though the small businesses were no longer able to sell them. They had to shut down those sections of the stores as well. I think Ontario followed soon after with those types of measures as well. And really, we've had, to some degree, one or the other, of these health orders, which they call red level of caution in their pandemic response system since early November. So we've had pretty heavy restrictions. And since then, coming out of the second wave, we started to loosen them a little bit, but not near the pace that other provinces were. And then they snapped them right back down at the beginning of the third wave. But there's entire sectors of the economy that have not been open since November. And retail has been dealing with some pretty hard caps throughout the entire pandemic. Restaurants, again, not able to be open in any degree to serving people in the restaurant only to take out no theaters, no um, stuff that's in place in other parts of the country. So unlike the Maritimes, which had a pretty harsh bubble lockdown, and unlike Alberta, which has been pretty permissive or at least tried to balance restrictions and freedoms, Manitoba kind of fits in, you know, like with Ontario, Quebec, as you said, non-essential businesses not allowed to open, restaurants not allowed to open. What about schools? Like have kids been kept home from school or has the province tried to keep those open for kids? They tried to keep schools open as long as they absolutely could. And about a month ago, they moved all schools to remote learning and it was supposed to be to the end of May. And then with the cases still up there, they extended it till the end of this week, I believe. I'm guessing it's probably going to be extended again. They're all remote learning at this point, but that was the last thing to be shut down. And the province went above and beyond to ensure that that was the last thing to shut down. They do say it'll be the first thing to reopen again, but with, I don't know, two, three weeks of instructional learning left in schools, the question is, is it then worth it? I've talked with a number of mental health experts, and they say even those two weeks of uh, allowing those kids back in school is critical because it gives, especially for kids who are in grade 12 who are graduating or those who are changing schools, it gives them that chance at closure and a sense of normalcy heading into the summer. And they've just been hammered on the mental health standpoint. And that's another thing I could go on and on about. But for a lot of people do see the value of getting them back in school at some point, uh, just even just finish things up heading into the summer. But the Premier, he does like to brag about having the harshest lockdown measures in the country outside of the Atlantic provinces. And I think a lot of that gets lost in vernacular and technicalities. And it kind of makes it difficult to actually do straight comparisons across the country, although I think McLean's did one earlier on, and there's been different studies on this. But right now, we're kind of right in there with Ontario and Quebec during some of their harsh lockdowns. And really, is it something that we really want to brag about? I don't, I'm, I'm not sure we necessarily do, but it's not like we've been running loosey-goosey 
over here. Mm-hmm. Basically, Manitoba has a stay-at-home order without it being a stay-at-home order. The way it's kind of been worded, because they're really trying to avoid the harsh language of that stay-at-home order, but the health orders themselves, it's basically a stay-at-home order. Like with other jurisdictions, and despite having what you say, the premier calling it the harshest lockdown restrictions outside of the Maritimes, the third wave has hit Manitoba pretty hard. How bad have things gotten in the last couple months? And where are you at right now? Things got pretty bad. For about two weeks, we're getting between 500 and 600 cases a day, which really does not sound awful in comparison to where Alberta and Ontario's numbers were straight up. But Alberta is about four times the size as Manitoba. Manitoba has a population of about 1.3 million. Ontario is quite a bit bigger than that, actually. Now everybody's heard about the situation in the ICUs, and this has led to uh, dozens of people being flown to Ontario, Saskatchewan. And I think now we have an agreement with Alberta as well. But right now, we're kind of at the 200 to 300 cases a day being announced. We've had the odd spike here and there. So we are kind of coming out of the third wave a little bit. We still have a way to go. But I think a lot of this is due to people finally following health orders. uh, And likely, more importantly, the vaccine rollout, which has started to pick up steam. Our vaccine program has had a lot of the same kind of issues that they've had in other prairie provinces when it comes to things like logistics and uh, just trying to get the vaccine period. So that's kind of where we're at now, two to 300 cases a day. And hopefully that continues to go down still. Do we know why we're seeing this peak in hospitalizations right now, even though cases are dropping? Is it based on age of patients? Is it based on any other factors? Are we seeing an increase in variants that are making people more sick? Like what's going on right now in hospitals in Manitoba? Well, there's a couple things. We can get into the leg. There's a two-week leg from point of acquisition to becoming symptomatic. We've known this for 15 months. But this leg also trickles down to just because you're symptomatic doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be jumping right into the hospital. Situations degrade. And while some people go right to the hospital after they become symptomatic and realize what's going on, not every case does. So there's a leg from point where they become symptomatic and know they have COVID to the point where they end up in hospital and then even further still end up in ICU. So there's that leg that's going to keep people coming in past the peak of cases rising. So people becoming in. We also have, because of uh, the variants of concerns, they call them, really hitting the younger age groups longer. These younger age groups are not seeing as many deaths, thankfully, as we were seeing earlier in the pandemic, but they're also staying in the ICUs longer. Part of it's probably a little bit due to their immune system, but uh, these variants of concern are clearly a little bit different than the original strain of COVID-19. So it's taken a little bit longer to process and for people to heal, to get healthy, and to move on out of the ICUs and hospitals. So it's creating a bigger log jam within the system. Mm-hmm. So it's all just kind of stacking up one on top of the other. And uh, this is why we're seeing this issue right now and why it's going to take long to work through these hospitalizations and the ICU situation than it is for the cases to actually drop off. In the lead up to the pandemic, if you're looking at the polling of popularity of the premiers, Premier Brian Pallister, he wasn't the most popular in the country, but he was far from the least popular. He was kind of a middle of the pack guy. Had about 44% positivity. What's the perception of him now a year in? Well, I think we also have to remember, we can look at straight up popularity numbers. Pallister was actually coming off being given the second largest mandate in Manitoba history after he called a snap election. So it wasn't that he was unpopular pre-pandemic. It's just Manitoba in terms of its 
politics is quite a bit different than, say, Alberta or even Saskatchewan, where it's a lot more split. But right now, I think people are frustrated. His popularity numbers through the pandemic have been among the worst of any premier in the country since March of 2020. He's been kind of trading places with Premier Jason Kenney out in Alberta, kind of going back and forth a little bit. But they've been kind of tracking at a similar pace. People are frustrated. People also look at him as being a premier on the way out, as the eyes retirement. I think had it not been for the pandemic, we would have seen that announcement already. But I think there's a bit of an assumption that he's uh, kind of waiting to for that legacy to put his name on, to put a stamp on. So he has announced he'll be back for the fall sitting. But I think if he can hang a mission accomplished banner on the pandemic, he'll be out pretty quick after the start of the fall sitting. He's been very combative with the public throughout this pandemic, which hasn't helped him. He has leaned on public health officers and officials to kind of lead the messaging on the uh, pandemic and the health orders. So he's trying to put them front and center, which I think is smart to a degree, but he hasn't done himself any favors when he's sparring with the media during press conferences or he's blaming Manitobans for the pandemic and these different issues out there. He's been a very frustrating individual for a lot of people. And I think that's why we're seeing his numbers as low as they are. Those numbers, mind you, were low even through the first wave Mm -hmm. when COVID numbers in Manitoba were among the best in the country. So it's not that he's seen a massive drop in his popularity since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, It's just hasn't risen to the what we saw in BC with Horgan or early on with Ford. It's been a little bit interesting to watch. I think most times in Manitoba, if you have a popularity around 30 to 40% as premier, you're actually probably doing pretty good. Wab Canoe, who's the NDP leader here in Manitoba, which is really the other uh, significant political party, uh, his numbers have been better, obviously, of late, but it's not like he's been tracking at like 60% or anything here in Manitoba. So it'll be interesting to see what happens coming out of the pandemic and if that momentum can actually kind of hold for the NDP if they can uh, take over government uh, in the in the next election, I believe 2023 or so. We've seen a lot of provinces come out, say, you know, we're going to reopen based on vaccination rates. Saskatchewan put out their plan first. Alberta's put out a really bold plan to have things open potentially before the end of June. Even Ontario, which has been very cautious, has kind of laid out a schedule, you know, once we have X number of people vaccinated, we can do Y items on our list. Does Manitoba have a reopening strategy in place? And is it getting to the point where Pallister feels like he needs to get one in place to kind of salvage some of the ill feelings towards him? As he's staring down retirement, I don't think he's overly concerned about his own popularity numbers. I don't think that's really driving him at this point. If they do have a strategy, and I'm hoping they have a strategy to reopen, they have not shared it with anybody yet. They've been promising this since Saskatchewan came out with their reopening plan, that they've been unveiling something similar. That was three or four weeks ago, but we we still have not seen anything. And the Premier keeps kicking it down the road. I mentioned earlier this week, that well, we're still in the middle of the third wave and we have bigger concerns. But right now, people just want to know what indicators the government is even looking at. They don't necessarily want all specific dates we're going to open up here, here, here. They just want to know what the government is looking at so they can make their own decisions and prepare and all the rest. Layering on top of that, what is extremely problematic for the business community are the supports from the province are starting to dry up. Most of the province's supports at this point 
heading into the spring and summer are geared towards rehiring. And that's just not even on the radar for most businesses. They have had a very successful bridge grant, which has been extended a few times where it gives eligible businesses $5,000 a month, which for many is a drop in the bucket, but it is something. So it has helped, but that's not been extended into June yet. And they have no idea when they're actually going to be able to reopen their doors. There's entire sectors that haven't been open since last fall and they're just bleeding money and they have no real idea when they'll be able to even start to plan or strategize on how to recover. So it's becoming pretty problematic there. They're not even thinking about rehiring. They just want to be able to make next rent. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens. It is interesting to see what's kind of going on in an area that, like I say, may not get the same kind of focus as other provinces, but has been having no less issue with COVID-19. Josh, thanks for your time. No problem. Thank you for having me on. 103 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Josh Aldrich. More from him at winnipegsun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.